Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. This is all part of the as in verse 1 there. And so, but it really heats up. It really heats up because he knows as he's speaking to them, what's on his mind is that he knows they want to kill him. And he repeats this in verse 37, you seek to kill me. And then he says it again in verse 40, now you seek to kill me. So he's looking at these, how would you feel if you were talking to people who are pointing a gun at you with their finger on the trigger? Okay, and they're just looking for the reason to pull the trigger. That's what it was. And he knew this so well. And this is part of what the ads in verse 1 there, and they're just looking to find a reason. And they're searching around, and they're trying this, they're trying that, you know. And finally, when they get onto the subject of Abraham, oh, they found their reason. They found their reason. And when they said in verse 57, and then the Jews said unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? It's his response. It's his response where unquestionably he claimed to be the eternal God, the I am, when he said in verse 58, oh, Jesus said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, boy. When they heard that, they heard the claim of God. And then they found the reasons. And so verse 59 is it says, they took up stones to cast at him. Then they tried to kill him. And this is all part of the as in verse 1 there, chapter 9. And so then he just narrowly escapes from the temple by hiding himself in the crowd. He sort of slips in, blends in, you know, and in verse 59, then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. So he's just made it out of the temple by the skin of his teeth and by hiding himself in the crowd. He just made it out. I mean, if you were in that position, you just narrowly escaped being stoned to death, what would you do? You know, this is all part of the as of verse one. You'd say, I got to get out of here. This is a little bit too much. You know, I'm pretty shattered by this whole conversation. I'm pretty disturbed by all these episodes, them, and I just got to get away and recover from the drama of all of this. That's normally what a person would do, is say, I'm in no condition to minister to anybody, so I'm in a condition to get ministered to, you know, and this is what happened, but this is not the Lord. This is not the Lord, and this is so what's marvelous about this word as, because clearly, The Lord, when he sees this other person, he's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of this man in need. And so following this word, as Jesus passed by, he saw in verse 1, it shows us that he has this unshaken devotion to his mission, and nothing's going to stop him. Nothing's going to stop him. You know, the Lord's devotion, it reminds me of of, uh, Gene Sasser. I like sometimes to go and to read the uh, accounts of the men who got the Medal of Honor. You know, it's very, very 
interesting, and one that I really gravitated toward it was Gene Sasser. He was a soldier in Vietnam, and on January 10th, 1968, January 10th, 1968, his company was attacked by North Vietnamese. And instantly, in this attack, it was an open field. 30 of his comrades, 30 of his fellow soldiers there, they fell on the field. They were either dead or wounded. And Gene, what he did was he ran across an open rice paddy, and he ran to a wounded soldier, and he helped that man to safety, picked him up and helped him. And while he was carrying the man to safety, his left shoulder was hit by flying shrapnel. So he falls down, he's hit, he falls down, his left arm is totally incapacitated, he can't use it, and he's lying down there and he thinks, uh, now what? I got a left arm that's not working, and I got a wounded man here, and he says to himself, I still got the right arm, I still got the right arm, so with his right arm, he drags this man to safety. And then he gets into safety and he refuses medical treatment himself. And instead he jumps back onto the field and he sees another wounded soldier about 100 meters away. And just as he's approaching that soldier, he gets hit two times in his thigh and his leg and both of his legs become incapacitated. Again, he goes down. He has no legs, he can't use his legs. Can't use his legs, can't use his left arm. So there he's lying in the mud of the rice paddy. And again, he's thinking, well, I don't have a left arm. I don't have two legs. I still got a right arm. And so with his right arm, he drags himself through the mud and gets over to this fallen man and treats this fallen man. He treats the fallen man. It's amazing what he did. He's wounded in his arm, his legs. He's faint from the loss of blood. And all he's thinking about is helping his fellow soldiers. That's why he got the Medal of Honor. Well, this is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is him. The Lord Jesus, he gets heaven's medal of honor because he's like Gene Sasser. He risked his life for others. And when it says as Jesus passed by, he saw a man, Jesus was not thinking that his murderers had already got the stones in their hands. And where is he? Where is he? Let's go find him. And he says, no, I got to take care of this person. So instead he stops while he's running away from his enemies to treat this man, this blind man. And, and it wasn't only that time. It was when the Lord was orderly wounded in his body. He's dying on a cross. And like Gene Sasser, he's thinking, I don't have any legs because they're nailed to a cross. I don't have any arms because they're nailed to a cross, but I still have a voice. I still have a voice. And so while he's dying, with his remaining voice, he helps a thief on the cross. He says, with his voice, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's our Lord. That's the Lord. He's pulling himself, it's like he's pulling himself through the mud of a rice paddy to reach a fallen man. And then he gets the Medal of Honor, the Lord does, as we've seen before, when in Revelation 5, when 10,000 times 10,000, and all of them say with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's his Medal of Honor. Now, by the way, Gene Sasser is interesting. Gene Sasser was a black man. And those soldiers, I don't know about those soldiers, if they were prejudiced against black and they refused treatment, they would die because he was their only hope. And by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ had just been accused of having a demon, of being illegitimate, of being a, from a Samaritan. And if that blind man said, oh no, not you, <laughs> no, not you, then okay, then he would remain blind. Okay, so the word in verse 1, saw, it tells us that when the Lord Jesus was being actively pursued by his enemies, he stops and he sees this blind man. It's got this unshaken devotion. His devotion 
you really can sum up his life with certain verses. Like John, in this chapter, in verse 4, John 9, 4, when he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work, to complete his mission of saving the lost, that was the must of his life. And then in John 4, 34, when Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work, to complete the mission of saving the lost, that was the food of his life. And then when he said in John 5, John 5, 19, Jesus answered, said unto them, verily, verily, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do, so ever he doeth, the son also, likewise. That was the father's work that was the restriction of his life. He restricted his life to that. And then when he said in Luke, his famous mission statement, Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Seeking to save the lost was the focus of his life. That's his life. And when he finishes his whole life, his work in John 17.4, and he's giving his final report to the Father. The final report. He was sent. He's giving a report. He says to the Father in John 17.4, I have finished the work. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It's just his ability to be able to report to the Father he'd finished the work. That's the goal. That was the goal of his life. So when the Lord Jesus saw this man, he, know that, he said, that's part of the Father's mission. I've got to stop. And his eyes are constantly on the need for the lost. It's a big challenge for us. It's a challenge for us because we've got to ask ourselves a question. Do we really have an eye peeled for the lost like he did? And so he, in John 9, John chapter 9, it's all about a blind man. And the Lord sees the blind man. And really, when we see this, it's so often that we can become blind ourselves to the lost. We can't see them. How does that happen? How do we get blind to the lost? I mean, I ask myself the question, how is it that I don't see people who are lost? Well, the Bible tells there are some ways that you become blind to seeing the lost. The first one, the Bible says, and it calls it entanglement, entanglement. In 2 Timothy 2.4, 2 Timothy 2.4, it describes entanglement. It says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life with the affairs of this life. See, no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. What a, it's when the affairs of life become so overwhelming, become so, oh, you know, then we become blind to our mission to reach the lost. We become entangled with the affairs of the world when we love the world. We love the world when we say, it's not bad, you know, um, especially San Diego. I love San Diego. Any of that, loving the world, that's what Demas did in 2 Timothy 4.10, 2 Timothy 4.10, where Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Having loved this present world. It's so easy. So easy. Become entangled with affairs. It also, become entangled with the affairs of this world is when a person wants to become rich. Wants to become rich. You know, it's like driving down the freeway and watching the numbers change on the lottery. How many million they have in there now? See, where's the 7-Eleven? Yeah, okay. It's that want to become rich. And Paul warned about this in 1 Timothy 6.9. 1 Timothy 6.9. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil which while some having coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
wow, these are quite something, you know, foolish, many, foolish, hurtful lusts, many sorrows, destruction, perdition. That's why he says at the end of that passage there in 1 Timothy 6.11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things, run, <laughs> run for your life, run. And that temptation comes in so subtly. Oh, it's so much like, well, you know, uh, if you get a lot of money, then you can give more money to the Lord's work. You know, so, you know, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the man who wanted to try to find out, I wonder how much of my money God wants. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll throw it up to heaven, and whatever falls down, that's what he wants me to keep. So, <laughs> you know, so be, to become entangled with the world is to become what the Bible calls a rocky ground Christian. It's described by the Lord in the parable of the sower and the seed. When he describes in Luke 8, 14, Luke 8, 14, the seed is that which fell among thorns, which are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked. Man, what a word. Choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit perfection. See, the cares of this life is an occupation with the musket duns. Oh, I must get done. You ever done that? You ever sit down to read your Bible and say, oh, I gotta do this, what am I Okay, I'll be right back, Lord. Don't go away. And you go and you do this, right? <laughs> you ever have that? Am I the only one? And so <clears throat> that's being choked with the cares of this life. And then riches, he says, it's a very interesting extra description on this choked with the riches, because I read to you from Luke 8, 14, but Matthew 13, 22 has a little interesting word about the riches when he says, he that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this word and the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word and becometh unfruitful. See, that's very important. The deceitfulness of riches. Riches are called deceitful because they lie. They lie. Riches talk and they say, I can satisfy you. That's a lie. And they say, I can give you everything you want. That's a lie. You know, recently I was watching an interview, Charlie Rose interview, where Charlie Rose was interviewing Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. Anybody see that interview? It was very interesting. Okay, you saw it. The two richest men in the world, you know, and Charlie Rose has this great way of asking these very penetrating questions. One of the questions he says, you know, he sits there and you, you don't see it coming when he's talking to you. He says, he says to him, says, what satisfies you? What satisfies you in life? And um, what do you wish you had? And Warren Buffett was interesting. He says, you know, all I have to do is want something and I can buy it. All I got to do is look at it and I can buy it. But then he said, and he kind of has this troubled look on his face, and he says, but there's one thing I cannot buy. And he says, I can't buy more time, and I'm 76 years old. And I'm, I'm in pretty good health so far, but I can't buy more time. That was amazing, because there, he's got all this money, and he's not satisfied because he can't buy time with the money. There's only one person who can give you more time, and that more time is called eternal life. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And money can't buy. Money can't buy that. But see, money deceived and it tricked into thinking, you know, oh, I can get anything I want, anything I want. But you can't. You can't. You know, it was so interesting to me in that whole interview. I don't know if you remember that too. In that whole interview, you are talking about, you know, satisfying and God was not mentioned once in the whole interview. That was astounding. Not like what we just sang, you know, take the world but give me Jesus. Somehow that didn't come out in the interview, <laughs> okay? 
Now, then the other is the pleasures, the pleasures of this life. It's an over-occupation with pleasures. You know, whenever I go to a vacation hotel, I don't know, I, I probably shouldn't do this, but I like to hang around the pool and eavesdrop on people. I know that's terrible, but I like to do it anyway. <laughs> I like to listen to their conversations. I like to watch people. I like to listen to people. I don't know why. You know, watch out for me floating around in the pool, you know. <laughs> that guy over there is listening to us. Look at him. Well, I find it very interesting. What becomes more disturbing is when I start, when I chime in on their conversation, you know. <laughs> anyway. anyway, I like doing that. Okay, never mind. But um, what's so interesting when I do that, when it's so interesting, you know what they talk about mostly on vacation is their timeshares. And they timeshare there. Or the restaurants that they went to and the fantastic food at this place and that place and the golf and all this kind of thing. And I thought, well, you know, if I kind of listen to this, I really get the impression these people are just kind of living from one vacation to the next vacation. <laughs> it's an over-occupation with pleasures of this life. You know what the Christian has to master the art of? There's an art that we as Christians must master. And it's what the Bible calls being temperate, temperate. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, 1 Corinthians 9.25, it says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. The word temperate there in that verse of 1 Corinthians 9.25, that word temperate means abstinence, abstinence abstinence, and we're not just talking about from sinful things. The art of temperance is really the art of abstinence. And the art of temperance, it's the ability, it's this artful ability to recognize what is gaining too much occupation of the thoughts, too much occupation of the interests, what's competing with the thoughts and interests in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something that has to be abstained from. That's the Christian's art of temperance. And some things we need to abstain from, and they're not sinful. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful unto me. He says, I can do. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. See, that's the key, is to recognize when there is a power. It might be engaged in watching news. And when all of a sudden you wake up and you say, I, I wonder what Trump's done. I gotta go see that, right? Because he's so entertaining. And so the art is to recognize when that is getting a power over you. The art of temperance is the ability to realize when we are being brought under the power of anything and then abstain from it. You know, I personally do not believe that the Bible specifically forbids drinking wine. I don't believe that. But I will not drink wine. Why? Because I realize how many people have been brought under the power of wine. And so I say, it's not for me. Drinking wine is lawful, but the art of temperance teaches me to abstain from wine, to not be brought under the power of wine. So the Lord chose to see this blind man in verse 1 because he was not entangled, obviously, with the affairs of this life. He was not choked with the cares of this life. He was not choked with the deceitfulness of riches. He was not choked with the pleasures of this life. And then the last word that in this verse to consider is the word blind, blind. You know, it says in verse one, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. We were just were talking about Fanny Crosby. She was blind from her birth. Being physically blind is a tragedy in life. Being physically blind from birth is a tragedy in life. But being spiritually blind is a worse tragedy of life. And being spiritually blind from birth is a worse tragedy in life. And you know what? That's us. We were spiritually blind from birth. And some of these Pharisees, they thought they could see they were blind. And they came up in this chapter. 
In verse 40, this chapter 9, John chapter 9, verse 40, John 9, 40, some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Spiritual blindness is the single disease. It's like a singled out disease that when the Lord was called in his mission to earth, he was called to address this disease, this disease of blindness, because physical blindness so much speaks of spiritual blindness. In Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 29, 18, speaks about when the Lord came, it says, and in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. That's what he does. He heals spiritual blindness. In Isaiah 35, verse 5, Isaiah 35, 5, he says about him, then shall the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. In Isaiah 42, 7, his greatest He sent, and he says, this is your job, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And then when he says he's going to do it, in Isaiah 42, 16, Isaiah 42, 16, he says, and I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked ways, the crooked things straight. And he calls in Isaiah 42, 18, Isaiah 42, 18, he says, Hear ye deaf, and look ye blind, that ye may see. So when it says here in this description here in verse 1 that this man was blind from his birth, hey, that's us. That's us. And we are described along with all of humanity in Isaiah 43, verse 8. Isaiah 43, 8. Isaiah 43, 8, where he says, Bring forth the blind people that have eyes. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes, and the deaf that have ears. The deaf that have ears. This is what Satan does. This is what he does. This is why he's so terrible, is because it says in 2 Corinthians 4 4, 2 Corinthians 4 4, where he's described as the God of this world, and it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds, blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in, who is the image of God, should shine unto them, should shine unto them. Thank God that all a person has to do is just turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the blindness is taken away. The blindness is taken away. It talks about the blindness on the Jewish people in 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3 says when they read the Moses, first five books of Moses, says there's a veil over their eyes. They can't see. And it says in 2 Corinthians 3.14, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ? That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank God for the day when the Lord opened the eyes of our mind. We talked about that. But he opened the eyes of our understanding. Open my eyes that I may see. He opened our eyes. See, Ephesians 1.18. Ephesians 1.18 says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what's the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints You know, inheritance is a big subject in the Bible. You know, if we have a big inheritance coming in life, we're thinking, oh, wow, that's pretty nice, right? Have you ever really take time to think about the inheritance that God has laid up for us? Well, we will think about that when the eyes of our understanding are enlightened so that we can know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The very simple verse is Psalm 146, verse 8. Psalm 146, verse 8. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind open at the eyes of the blind. That's wonderful. So what have we seen? We've seen here how in verse 1, Jesus passed by. He saw a man that was blind from birth. We saw the word as brings to our mind all the afflictions, all the intensity, the drama of it all with a fight that he had just gone through. 
to get to this man. He fought his way through. He saw this man. Shows how he reached the man in need. And the man is described as blind, which describes our spiritual condition. And then we just praise the Lord for how he healed our blindness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for healing our blindness. And thank you so much for healing the blindness of any person who turns to you. Thank you, great God, for being so great a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.